Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read again like we did last week. We're going to begin reading in verse 21 and read down through chapter 6 verse 4. But we're just going to look at at a section of that, the section where Paul is dealing with husbands loving their wives as far as the sermon goes this morning. But I want us to have all of this in context in our mind together. So let's give our attention again to reading God's holy word. Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Most gracious fathers, we spend the next moments looking at your word. I ask that by your spirit you would add your blessing to this reading of your word, that your spirit would illumine our hearts and minds, that we might think clearly and rightly about the gospel and marriage. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Well, as we come to this passage, I want to give some some similar kind of caveats right up at the beginning, uh, like I did last week. First of all, we need to remember that this passage is still given in context of this mutual submission that we read in 521. That what Paul is doing here is giving us particular applications of this manner of life, this manner of walking to which Christians are called in this life. He's applying all that he has said about the Christian life and and about how we should walk and, and, and paying attention to how we walk and all of that. He's applying it specifically to the context of, of the relationships of our family. Because it makes sense why you would, you would bother to do that. Those are obviously the most intimate relationships that you're likely to have. And, and those are relationships that, that, that in, under normal circumstances you face day after day. And, and they're always there. And so Paul gives us specific instruction on how to live within our family in this manner of walking that he has called us. 
And so here we have another example of this mutual submission within marriage, this time looking at it from the husband's side. The second caveat that I need to give is, as as we look at this, it's important for us to remember, starting there in verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. There is a reality about marriage that at some level, part of the purpose of marriage is to function as a metaphor for the gospel and for the relationship of Jesus and his church. When we live with one another in our marriages in light of the gospel, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives selflessly and sacrificially in this way, we are in in some way showing forth the reality of the gospel. This is part of why it's such a a harsh reality when we think about divorce and, and why that is so problematic is because if marriage is designed to show forth the gospel, then when we enter into that, it, it raises certain questions. But the Bible tells us that, that because of sin, in certain circumstances, it has been granted. But still, we have to see that, that the metaphor that is playing out is this reality of the gospel, this reality of, of the husband sacrificially loving his wife for her good and her submitting to him. We talked last week about how this reality of mutual submission doesn't actually undermine the reality of authority within the the relationship of marriage. And we'll visit that again this week. The third caveat that that I want to to offer, and and, and really, to be honest, and y'all all know this, I could offer this with every sermon, but I feel particularly convicted this week and next week to say, I don't stand before you as someone who gets this all right. It's much easier to stand here and read the passage and say, hey, husbands, here's what this means, than it is to carry this out. See, the reality is we can't do this, men, apart from the Spirit of Christ being at work in us. This is not something we have the strength in ourselves to do by any stretch of the imagination. This kind of love for our wives is nothing less than the work of the Spirit within us. Remember where this whole section started. Back in 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as wise but as unwise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And he goes on, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Or uh, better, be filled by the Spirit. That's that's the, the, the empowering reality. The Spirit, He is the one who empowers us to carry out these participles that that we're then given, addressing one another in spiritual songs, giving thanks always, submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. It is only by the filling of the Spirit, men, that we can do this. If we attempt this in our flesh, it will go wrong in myriad ways. So with all of that, Let's jump in, and we're going to follow a similar outline that we did last week, looking at the the, the subject and object of our love, the the manner of our love, all of those different things. But first, before we get there, there is this imperative to love. Here, an imperative verb is given, husbands, love your wives. 
It's not a recommendation. It's not, hey, here, here's a good idea. Here's maybe a way to, that, that you might think about approaching marriage. Here's a way that you might think about approaching why your wife. I've seen it work before with other guys. Maybe this will help you. It's, it's nothing like that. This is a command. And, and we need to read it as a command, just as we would read, do not murder. Just as we would read, have no other God before me. This is a command from God. This, guys, is what we are called to do. This is the imperative of being a husband, to love your wife. Now, it's easy in in our world to have a, a very kind of hallmark definition, hallmark understanding of love and read this as like, oh, be infatuated with your wife and, you know, punch drunk on her love. Like, that's not what's going on here. Agapao, the Greek verb that's behind this, Mounts in, in his dictionary of Greek defines it as, as things like valuing, esteeming, yes, delighting in. But there's these other kind of more practical, if you want to think about it that way, ideas that are involved in this. To, to value them, to esteem them, to, to, to exalt them, to, to seek their good, to care for them. This, men, It's what we are called to do to our wives. We saw this last week as as we looked at the realities of submission that that a wife is to submit to her her husband as to the Lord, who who is himself the church's savior. And then somehow that does give us this pattern for how we are to love our wives. And that's what Paul addresses and, and fills out here in this passage. So the subject and object, husbands, Subject, love your wives. Object, the manner of this love. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And here, right at the beginning, we look at it and we're like, come on. Are you serious? You just told me to do for my bride what Christ did for his church. You, you told me to do this thing, to, to love her in, in, in the same manner that Christ loved the church, which, which we talk about week after week, is this sacrificial, self-giving, lay, he, laying himself down for her love, seeking her good even through his own death. And now you say to me with a straight face, Husbands, love your wives that way. Yes, I do. Because Paul does. But here, here's the reality of this situation. Yes, husbands are to, we are to love our wives in that way. We're, we're not to lower the bar in any way. That is the manner of our love. A, a Christ-defined, Christ-exemplifying love. But the reality is, if we go back to to the beginning of of Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God. Here he's not writing to husbands, he's writing to, to the Ephesian church in general. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. See, Paul is just 
here applying to husbands the reality that he has already announced for all Christians. It's not that husbands are to love their wives in this way, but wives have no responsibility here or or, or something. No, this is the, the pattern of life within the church. Loving one another as we have been loved in Christ who gave himself for us. Paul says it in another way, and we flip over a book in Philippians chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then Paul records for us that great Christ hymn that that announces the humility of Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, this is the pattern of the Christian life. And all Paul is doing is applying what should be the normal pattern of the Christian life for all of us, specifically to husbands, saying, men, by the way, here's what mutual submission looks like for you in the context of your marriage. Sacrificial love. For the good of your bride. That's what we're called to. That's the standard. That's the goal. That's what we're shooting for. And, And that's what we can only, only, only do if we are filled by the Spirit. There's no other way that this kind of love is possible apart from Walking in the Spirit. Apart from the Spirit putting to death the deeds of our body. Because our natural inclination, men, will always be to seek us, to seek our glory. That's why we had the prayer earlier that we prayed that we're self-seeking, self-centered glory seekers. Because that's what we are. And that's what even the best of us are at times in our marriages, but we're called to something grander than that. And and this is a, a profoundly, in many ways, a profoundly subversive message, even for, for many factions of the Christian church, as, as we try to discuss it in light of all the cultural conversations going on about masculinity and femininity and, and what it means and what it means to be head. And, and, and you can find just appalling things being said about what it means to, to lead and, and, and submit and all of these different things. But here is the standard. Giving yourself for your wife as Christ gave himself for his. That's what we're called to. The the love that you should have for your wife is nothing less than that. 
That's what it means to be head. It means to die for the body that it might live. That's the call. That's the manner of love to which we are called. The purpose we see beginning announced in verses 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. Now, now, sometimes we read this and we're like, okay, that's a lot. And in fact, maybe it's too much. Maybe we need to be careful with these metaphors and pull back just a little bit. Maybe when we look at the wife's submission and, and see it pattern after the church's submission, which is a responsive submission to grace, a responsive submission to love, maybe we need to be careful about that, lest we give wives permission to not submit because their husband isn't perfect. And, and we pull back from some of these metaphors, and we do the same thing with husbands. We say things like, now, now you're not your wife's savior. You're not the spirit. You can't do the work of sanctification. And, and so we start dialing back the standard. Using theology that is right, of course. We would, we would never fail to do that. But we start dialing back what it is that Paul's calling us to. What, what is the, the purpose of our loving our wife in this way? What is the purpose, men, of our being the head of the family in this way? It's patterned after the purpose of Christ for the church. What, what Christ did in, in laying down himself and giving himself up for his bride, what he did, he did that he might sanctify her, that he might make his bride holy, blameless, without spot or blemish. That's what Christ did. That's the purpose of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That though our sins be as scarlet, they may be white as snow. That we might be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And that is what we are if we are in Him. That's one of the beauties of the gospel. Is that we come all covered in sin, all covered in the filth of our flesh and our failures and, and all that we bring. And we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. And we're forgiven because he's washed us with his sanctifying word, with his pure blood. The second purpose of Christ in his work is that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That, that, he, that he might take this one that was given to him by his father before the foundation of the world and clean her up, that, that he might present her to himself in, in this holy, beautiful splendor, without spot, without blemish, perfectly sanctified. So, so there's two aspects to the purpose of the work of Christ as it's laid out here. On the one, it's sanctification. On the, on the other hand, it's presentation. That's what Christ, that's the purpose of the work of Christ in us. To sanctify us, 
and to present us to himself in all the splendor and beauty of those who have been sanctified by Christ. All the splendor and beauty of holiness. Now, some of you are thinking, well, there's, there, I can't do that. I'm not the spirit. I'm not Jesus. My blood will not cleanse someone in that way. And you're right, of course. But notice what Paul says at the beginning of verse 28. In the same way. So there's some relationship between the the manner and purpose of Christ's love for the church that we need to take very seriously, men, about the manner and purpose of our love for our wives. I know I can't sanctify my wife. I, I know you can't sanctify yours. And it's not because they're so unholy that they're unsanctifiable. Let me just be really clear about that. But it's because we can't change a sinner's heart. And our wives can't do that for us either. But this does define the purpose of our love. And this does bring headship into clearer focus. Because all of a sudden, we see that headship isn't about me leading my wife to get my way. It's not about me leading my wife to to just do what I think needs to be done. It's not about leading my family so that all of my dreams and hopes are fulfilled. It's it's not about leading my my wife and and my children and and my family and everything so so that I advance up the the, the, vocational ladder or whatever. It's not about any of those things. Not a single one. It's about loving your wife in a way that leads her to holiness. Loving your wife in a way not to present her to yourself as some object of of your fleshy desire. And there's ministers who have said that kind of trash but to present her to yourself as one who is holy. That's the goal, men. That's the manner and the purpose for which we are loving our wives. Or it should be. It should be. Now, I know that none of us are getting this all right. I realize that. I'm well aware I'm not, you're not. But, but I'm also aware that, that we are trying, but, but the question then is raised, what do we do when inevitably and repeatedly we fail to love our wives in this way? Well, we remember the, the pattern that we're trying to follow. That this is what Christ has done for us. And this is the ongoing work of sanctification in us, that the Spirit is carrying out day by day, putting to death the deeds of the body. See, when we hold this mirror of Christ's love up as the standard uh, for, for how we're to love our wives, and, and we look at ourselves in it, and, and, and we look like we're looking into a funhouse mirror, and we're all out of shape, and, and nothing lines up right. Men, we must remember the gospel. Because what we need in that moment is not in our flesh to buckle down and try harder and get it right tomorrow. 
What we need in that moment is to rest wholly in the finished work of Jesus Christ because it is only that, it is only the security that we have in Christ that will give us the freedom to, in humility, in perfect humility, to come to our wife and say, babe, I have failed. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? See, as long as we're, even if we're trying to do this, if we're trying to do it in our flesh, there's no room for failure and there's no room for repentance and there's no room for this kind of sacrifice. Our flesh will not have it. It will not have it. But, men, when we find that our hope and our identity and our security are in Jesus Christ. There is freedom even to go to the one who is dearest in your life that you have failed in the worst way and hurt and admit it and ask for her forgiveness. There's freedom to do that because of the finished work of Christ. And then we get back by the Spirit's help, by the grace of sanctification to pursuing this that we are called to. Is this the goal of your love? And is this the manner, men, of your love for your wife? Do you seek to, to lay yourself aside for her? For her good, for her glory? Or do you just seek to lead in such a way that, that she'll be satisfied enough with, with your affection for her that she won't say anything and you'll get to take the family where you want to go? That's a fleshy vision of marriage that's easily, easily veiled with Christian lingo, but it's still very fleshy. We're called to die. It's that simple. We're called to die willingly for the good of our wives. And we have the freedom to do that because I don't have to secure anything about me for heaven for Christ has already secured it. And we have the ability to do this because Christ and the Father have poured out the Spirit of God into us that we might so live. Is the purpose of your love for your wife her holiness? That's what we're called to. Now, I want to give us some warnings here, some more warnings. And I say this in many ways just out of my own personal failures. We're really good at twisting her holiness into things like her comfort or her being happy with me or her being happy in general. We, we love the mom ain't happy, ain't no, we, we, we live and die by it. And it's ridiculous. Why? 
Because sometimes the Bible calls us, or our flesh, we should say, to unhappiness. Because it calls our flesh to die. Men, the strength we need in marriage is not the strength to make some big, bold decision for our good and our advancement. The strength we need that is way beyond that is the strength to actually pursue our wife's holiness. To to have the manhood to call her to repentance and to do it in love and to do it in patience and not abdicate and just seek her comfort. How? Only when we're so resting in Jesus Christ for our hope, security, and identity that I haven't pedestaled my wife and that I'm secure if she's disappointed or doesn't like or is mad at what I say. Wives, when your husbands call you to biblical repentance, when your husbands are seeking your holiness, submit to them. They're not trying to get one over on you. They're seeking your holiness. Paul continues, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And here we begin to see the grounds of this love. And, and, and there's two grounds to it. The first is unity, and the second is the gospel itself. In this way, verse 28, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There is a deep and profound unity that exists in marriage that is often overlooked. Often overlooked. When we're joined together in marriage, the Bible tells us we become one flesh. It even goes as far as to say that that our bodies don't belong to us exclusively anymore, but to our spouse. There is a profound union that happens in marriage. And Paul's saying that in part is the grounds for us loving our wives in this sacrificial way. Because to love our wives in this way, to cherish them, to nourish them, is to cherish and nourish ourselves because we're so intimately united to our wives. When someone's head has, for some medical reason, begun to operate in such a way that it no longer cherishes and nourishes the body, we say there's a profound medical problem because the unity that is supposed to exist in the body doesn't exist anymore. They're sick. 
when husbands fail to see that loving their wives is loving themselves, there's marital mental illness. The head has become disjointed from the body. This unity, Paul says, the two shall become one flesh, is the grounds in part for us caring for our wives. To do so is to care for ourselves. The second grounds that we see in verse 32 this mystery is profound. Paul's under, under no uh, like confusion that what he is saying is, is blowing apart categories of thought about men and women and, and the relationships of husbands and wives, and especially in the first century. Within the church now, we, we've heard these things announced enough that, it, that it's not quite, I mean, it is still profound. It just doesn't, the profundity of it is a land on us. But, but in the first century, for, for this kind of, of statement to be made, it was just exploding categories of gender relationships. Paul's very aware of that. He knows it's profound. He knows it undoes how we think about marriage. He knows it retools the categories for this most intimate relationship. And he says it refers to Christ and the church. Again, what marriage sets forth for our children, what marriage sets forth for the world, is this relationship of Christ and his church. And it does that by God's design. Now, I get it. Again, there, there are these metaphors that can be pushed too far, and, and, and so we, we've got to be careful, but we don't need to be so careful that we draw back the weight of what is being said. But because of sin, because of the hardness of heart, there are times where divorce is, is biblically sued out. But they're very limited. They're very limited. The, the, the norm that we should see is the showing forth of the gospel in marriage. That's the point of your sacrificial love for your wife, of submitting to her in her need to be loved in that way, and wives, of your submission to your husband. That the beauty of Christ and his church might be displayed and might be modeled in your marriage. All of a sudden, we see that wives are in no degraded position in marriage at all. All of a sudden, we see that just as the treasure in the field was something that Christ was willing to give up his kingdom to come and purchase, so wives in, the church, or in marriage carry such value to their husbands that I would give anything and everything to have and love her in this way. The gospel is the other grounds for our love 
Then Paul concludes, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What does mutual submission in marriage look like? What what is this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ from verse 21? What does that look like in marriage? There's the summary in verse 33. Let each of one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's what we do when we're filled by the Spirit. That's the picture of marriage. That's the ideal that is set forth. And that's what can only be pursued by the Spirit, by those resting holy in Jesus Christ. Might we learn to do that in our marriages? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it calls us so quickly, especially in these passages on family, so quickly to the very end of ourselves. But that when we find ourselves there, we find ourselves resting wholly in Jesus Christ, being filled by his spirit, that we might actually live lives that honor you and that exalt the gospel, and that show forth Christ to the world. Father, would you help us as men to so sacrificially love our wives for their good, and that the world might see the gospel displayed in our marriages. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.